We're starting something new today. And people like the new, right? Uh, we like to start new things. We like New Year's because it kind of gives us a new fresh start. As we enter into a new series today, uh, there's new truths to be found. There's new uh, growth points in our lives. There'll be kind of a new direction. We, we tend to like this sort of thing, new growth. Um, the start of the New Testament is actually also something else. It's the end, right, of the Old Testament. And as we go into a new series, we're venturing into the Old, Old Testament. Okay? Now, for some of you, you need to blow the dust off the Old Testament for yourself. Okay? Maybe you don't venture into the Old Testament uh, as much. If you, if you notice, there is a certain prejudice against the old in our culture and a hypervigilance for the new. Right? Anyone remember New Coke? Remember New Coke? Raise your hand if you remember that whole campaign. Okay? Did it last? No. What was better? How did they market the old Coke? Coke Classic! That's right. I mean, this could have been a mastermind thing from the start uh, where they're like, why don't we introduce something new? It'll be worse. Then we can remarket the old as new. I mean, that's, that's kind of what's going on. Um, I actually take my kids through old 80s music because I want them to understand there was good music. Yes, I said good and 80s music in the same sentence. Music being made long before whatever's being promoted right now as the current, as the new. Uh, let me just take you through the Old Testament for a second. Uh, not the whole thing, uh, but just, just a couple of points, okay? Um, first of all, we tend to sometimes look at it and just say, man, it's just old. Is there anything I could possibly get? Good, you know, from something that's just so old. Let me bring you up some olds. Uh, your blankie is old. Good cheese is old. Your grandma is old. It doesn't make them bad, right? You may have bad cheese. Your blankie may be bad and your grandma may be bad, but it's not because they're old necessarily, all right? So don't just have a prejudice against the old. Um, sometimes people think, well, it's just mean people that will throw things at me. This is Moses. He's not mad at you, okay? But there are some stories of anger. There's stories of love. It's kind of like all of life is packed into the Old Testament. So that is there. Some of you, maybe if you had a church background where there were lots of charts on the wall um, as, a, as a kid, uh, maybe what you're thinking is, I don't like the Old Testament. I just have kind of a little flinch whenever it's mentioned because I think of charts and rituals and memorization. Now, what I have up here is um, in, in very tiny detail for you, but a picture of the temple. Now, some churches have posters of that, you know, and, and all of that. And I think sometimes people shy away from the Old Testament because they think, oh, man, they're going to make me recite, you know, how to do a, a, you know, a free will offering with pigeons or something. And I, and I need to memorize that. And that just kind of freaks me out. And I don't like it. Um, I'm not necessarily going to go that way with this series. We may, just for kicks, pull out the temple and memorize every part of it. But no, not, not really. Um, <clears throat> but something like the temple um, actually can be instructive to us. It's that, wow, God is a big and good builder. And he doesn't leave anything to chance. He's a detail-oriented God. You know what that says about a God who's building my life right now? A God who's building and sustaining my faith right now? Man, that teaches all sorts of good truths about it. So we don't necessarily run from the rituals of worship that are mentioned in the Old Testament and some of the detail of building the temple. Finally, um, genealogies, right? <clears throat> some people just think, man, genealogies freak me out, and there's so many of them. You know, why are they in there? And that just reminds me of why I don't like reading the Old Testament. Not a whole lot of devotional thoughts when you're three-quarters of the way through a multi-chapter genealogy, right? 
Um, here's the positive I've found, especially if you're a kid and you like to draw. Just start to make a family tree of this. It makes some really interesting trees, right? There's so many names in there. Um, and, and as we'll see today, right in the middle of a genealogy um, is, is a little powerful packed truth that if you just kind of skip over lists of names, you would miss it. Here's the other thought. Every single name listed in the Bible, if we take this by faith that this is a book for God, has been recorded for a reason. So sometimes there's people that got one mention. Their entire life is mentioned in genealogy, but they played a role in the story of God. kind of shows me that in every single life, no matter if your life feels noteworthy or not, no matter if no even local newspaper, community, news, uh, neighborhood newspaper has ever written anything about your life, that your life is a part of the story of God. If you avoid the Old Testament, let me just show you this. If your finger's there, here's my Bible. Now, give or take a few maps and maybe a concordance or two, do you see that you're missing a majority of the Bible if you never venture into the Old Testament? I mean, do you see that? A lot of times we like the New Testament, right? We like the stories. We love Jesus. We love what's being taught there. We love kind of the immediate devotional application that's there. I would venture to say, man, there's so much of that in the Old Testament. And sometimes people just aren't taught that or we're not seeing that or we've forgotten that. But if we, if we skip out on that, we're, we're missing that. Here's what's really powerful. Our children, children, you're hanging with us this morning. We love having you around oftentimes slip out these doors and they go back into some netherworld and you don't really even understand or know what's happening. Here's what's going on. Our children are learning the Old Testament stories. They're walking through this. They're reading the scriptures and they're hearing it for themselves. So as we venture in for the next several months, different characters in the Old Testament, here's what's powerful. Some of them will kind of line up uh, with, with things. Some that, that we'll be doing now, they won't get to for a long period of time. Some that we get to, they'll have already covered. But it opens up all kinds of dialogue for, for you and the children of our church, whether they're your kids or not. We're going to be walking through this. What I love about our children's program is they're not just doing the top 10 stories. Okay? Uh, I just downloaded a free children's Bible uh, that I was reading to my kids. Um, and we're just kind of looking at some of the things. And what a Typical children's Bible does, it takes kind of the top ten, right? What, what our children's program is doing is they're really diving into the stories of faith that are captured in the Old Testament, which is a really, really neat thing. If you've ever read the entire Bible, um, chances are that you have seen and your faith has either been challenged if you don't believe that God wrote this book or strengthened if you do believe that God wrote this book. As you see this kind of, one of my Bibles calls it this, the scarlet thread of redemption. The scarlet thread of redemption is talking about this, that you look at the book of Genesis and then you move on all the way through and you realize, man, the historical books, the prophetic books, the, the artistic wisdom literature, uh, man, these all are pointing to Jesus. And then, of course, we've got the Gospels that, that tell the, the narrative of his life, the book of Acts, which talks about the church that he started and carried on his mission, and then the rest of the epistles in Revelation, all of which talk about Jesus. It's a scarlet thread that God has been on this redeeming mission, and it's woven together in the scriptures, and we're going to see some of that. Some of the people we'll look at are going to be well-known, and you'll have seen and heard lots about this. There's you know, movies made about them, and the story's been told over and over. Some of them are really, really obscure, and you're like, is that even in the Bible? You check it out. We'll follow along and make sure that it's actually Bible teaching we're, we're doing here. Um, but some, some will be really obscure. 
Some of them uh, will be lives that we want to emulate. Uh, children, if you haven't gotten to that chapter in school yet, that means we want to copy their life. It's something to be followed in. And then some of their lives we'll see. We want to avoid that. Um, how many of you have older brothers and sisters? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have learned something, good or bad, from your older brother or sister? Please raise your hand. That just means you're alive and you're observant and you don't like spankings, okay? If my older brother did something and he, and he got in trouble for it, uh, my, my little twins haven't figured this one out yet. They always, they are constantly doing this. Um, Kaya, don't touch the blinds. Touch, swat. Eli walks right over. Bunk, and touches the blinds. It's a two-for-one day. You know, so uh, they just haven't quite gotten that. But I began to learn at an early age that my two older brothers, they were like blockers for me. They, you know, I got to see, oh, wow, mom and dad really means that that's the rule. And so we learned things from them. I copied them in some ways, and I, I tried to avoid what they did um, in other ways. One of the other fascinating things that we'll see is this. We're going to see this today, in fact. There are types of Christ in the Old Testament. And let me explain what I mean by that. There are people and events and things that go on that as we look at their life, as you read them, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about, wow, um, Jesus comes along and actually did that himself, and he did it better than what they're doing. But that's a little pointer because we know about Jesus. We know how God redeems people for all of time. They're little pointers to the coming Messiah. Romans 15 is a passage that I quoted uh, last Sunday. It says this, For whatever was written in former days. The book of Romans is written in the New Testament period. This is after Jesus has, has risen and gone back, back to heaven. So he's writing from a New Testament standpoint. What's the, what, what are the things written in former days? What Bible did he possess? He possessed the Old Testament primarily. He would have certainly had you know, some of the copies of uh, early manuscripts of other things. But he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Here's the point of what I'm doing. I'm just making a case to say this. God recorded the lives and the events of the Old Testament for not only our instruction, but to be encouraged. The word encouraged literally means encourage, pouring courage into someone. I'd venture to guess that many in this room need courage and boldness to face things. It might be an audit like Rob Collins needs. It might be a conversation that you need to have today or this week, and you know that's coming. God is longing to pour courage into you. He's longing to give you the instruction. And we're going to look for it in the Old Testament. The new series is simply called Step of Yes. And Step of Yes is going to be uh, kind of unfolded for you over the coming weeks, and you'll have a, a little bit clearer of a picture of what it is. But here it is in a nutshell. There's a common thread that we see in all of the tales of the Old Testament, and it's this. It's a God who initiates. It's God who starts things, and then people are responding to God. Over and over, men, women, and children find themselves in trouble. There's slavery, literal slavery to other people and other nations, but also the slavery to sin. We'll see the same patterns of people, and you go, man, what adult? That guy keeps doing the same thing over and over. What's fascinating about the scripture is it's kind of like a mirror, and then we see it and go, ooh, well, that's kind of like me. <laughs> but we're going to see people and their, and their sin and their slavery to it. So over and over again, people are in bondage to slavery. We, we see broken families. We see shattered promises, failed dreams, wars. You get the idea. There's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in the Old Testament. 
I look around my neighborhood. I drive through my neighborhood. I read the news. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in our day and age. We're going to see parallels to that. But it wasn't all bad. Time and again, God steps in and he basically sets the stage for redemption. Redemption is taking something that's bad and turning it into something that's good. It's redeemed into something that's used for good. He sets the stage for rescue. He sets the stage for relationship. And so there's this initiation by God and this, this process of stepping in. In every single story of the Old Testament, I want you to see this, God is the hero. God's the hero of the Old Testament. We often think Moses is the hero of the Red Sea. What did Moses do to get across the Red Sea? Tell me. Yeah, right? He didn't do a lot. He didn't study up on parting seas, right? He didn't, like, read a killer book on warfare and be like, this is how I'll do it, right? I mean, it was God that that did it. But here's what's incredible. Every story of the Old Testament has God as, as its hero, but he invites regular people, in fact, what we'll see is this, sinful people, messed up people, unfaithful people, inconsistent people, into the process. And he uses them to be part of this scarlet thread of redemption that we had talked about. The question for each individual boiled down to a simple step. Is it going to be yes or is it going to be no? God initiates, God invites. Are they going to take a step of yes that will lead to life and following after a life of God, not a life of comfort, or will they take a step of no away from God? And that's a part of what we're going to look at. People are still in trouble. People still need rescue. God is still the hero, and God is still inviting. So as we look at the Old Testament, we're going to just move it into our lives and say this. It's our move. God is still initiating things. And we still have this opportunity. Is it going to be a step of yes? Is it going to be a step of no? Now, people tend to ask awfully deep questions of poultry sometimes, and they ponder it and spend all kinds of hours going back and kind of thinking about things. Um, I want to ask a different kind of question, and in our community groups this week, we're going to kind of ponder this. But but here's a question I have for you. Which came first, faith or the step of obedience? Just that very first step of obedience. Faith or obedience. And as we're going to see, sometimes that's a hard line to define. The step of yes is also about footprints. Um, anyone ever had their footprint taken? I won't ask about your thumbprint, okay? Just, just, to, keep it, uh, just to keep it safe. But um, the last footprint that I remember clearly being seen taken was Cassie's. We're in China, and, and they took her, her little, her little uh, footprint, they put it in some red ink, and they just kind of rolled it across the paper and got a nice, clean footprint of my daughter. And it was on this very official-looking document, and she wasn't too thrilled about the whole process at the time. It wasn't because she was a criminal. She wasn't uh, being investigated for anything. That was just a part of how God allowed her to be brought into our family. But as you look at a footprint, what you think about is this, that that footprint is unique. That footprint is a unique identifier for each individual. And as we think about step of yes, and as you think about your own footprint, um, it's, it's an idea, it's a reminder that each one of you will walk a different path. 
It's true that when someone goes through something like cancer and survives it and talks to another person who's gone through cancer and survives it, they have some commonality. But isn't it true that their pain, your individual pain, is unique to you? The road that you have walked in that pain is unique to you. I come from a divorced home. I've talked to tons of people over the years about divorce and the devastating effects that divorce has on a family. But when I talk about my story and the things that I've gone through, the ways that God's redeemed it, the way that there's still hurt there, it's unique to me. No one can quite get what I'm going through with divorce, even though tons of people, sadly, have walked that same road. That's what I want you to think about when you think about kind of the footprints that you're going to see over the, over the coming months. There's a creative God that we serve, and not only does he heal in different and unique ways. I love reading the Gospels because he's always mixing it up, right? There's no, like, little formula. He carries around magic pills. He just goes, here, take two of these and swallow. And the next person's like, look, I've already heard the, 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 the drill. You're about to heal me. Just give me the pills, right? He does it totally different ways. He's like... Makes it up mud, puts it on the person's eye, tells them to go wash. Right? That was one way that he healed. He's done other things. An ear falls off, he picks up. We don't know exactly how he did it. But he's a creative God. Not only does he heal in unique ways, he summons people in very unique ways. The burning bush. Wouldn't that be cool to duplicate that one? Don't you wish God like, went back to his old repertoire once in a while? God, just a burning bush. I mean, I'd, I'd be cool with just a burning bush. If you could just pull that one out for me, that was a really neat one. He comes to people, he summons people, he invites people in all kinds of different ways. There's a neat conversation recorded with Peter. Uh, this, is after, um, this is after Jesus is restoring Peter. We just looked last week at the fact that Peter denied Christ. Remember that? How many times did he deny him that we know of? At least three. Jesus comes to him and he starts talking to him. And Remember how he restores him? He asks him three times the same question. What's the question? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And what does he start to do? He starts to get really troubled by the end. And then there's this part of the conversation where Jesus says this. He begins to make a prophecy, and he says that when you're young, you get to get dressed and go where you want to go. But when you're old, you're going to get led to where you don't want to go. And it says it explicitly here. It says he told Peter this to tell him, to prophesy what kind of death he was going to die in, how he was going to die for Jesus. And what does Peter do? Anyone remember? I don't, you don't need to call it out, but just think about his response. And I love this because I have a family that has, everyone in there has siblings, and I come from a family where I can think of my own growing up experience and what I would have done. Here's what Peter does. What about him? What about that guy over there? Like, I have to die that way? How about him? He immediately worries about someone else. Jesus gives this really profound answer. He doesn't answer him. He basically says, if he's going to stick around until I return, and in other words, never dies, what is that to you? You know what he says in essence? It's none of your business. Here's why I'm telling you this. As we look at the Old Testament, we can't just take that life and and like some kind of incantation, just recite what they said a hundred times and hope that God shows up. We can't read a book today of a Christian that we really admire and we say, well, how did they do it? How were they so fulfilled as a Christian? And just take that and try to cram that into our life. We can't, as Christians, look across the aisle or in front or behind us here at church and say, would you just, can I just do exactly what you're doing? Because of this, 
We are called to an individual relationship to God, each and every one of us. So while there are principles that we're going to glean, while there are teachings that I can say from up here, while there are songs and truths that we can do, you are called individually to walk with Jesus. And your walk may look, will look, totally different from someone else's. We'll find parallels like two cancer survivors, but you will be individually called to the life that God is calling you to live. Here's the other powerful thing about footprints, though, is that they're able to be followed. Footprints are able to be followed. I can remember walking in my dad's footprints at the beach, and I was a little kid, and I was like having to like jump to just, to just try and be in his footprints. Remember that? Dad's, dad's gate is a little bit bigger than ours, right? And so you're walking, and you're, and you're trying to, to, to step in it. But here's what's powerful. There are men and women who have gone before us, a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews says. And we can follow in their, in their path. We can't walk the exact road they've walked. We can't live the exact same life. We can't be guaranteed that, well, Hudson Taylor did this as he brought the gospel to China. So I'm going to do that exact same thing. And God owes it to me to show up in the same way. We can't do that. But we can follow in the footsteps of some of the greats who've gone before us and, and lived lives for Christ. The other thing about footprints is they leave an undeniable track record of truth. They show where you have actually been, not where you meant to be, not where you thought you would be, not where you hoped you would walk or planned to walk, but where you actually walked. Now, I was a swimmer in high school. Some of you know that. And, um, and one day, uh, some of my friends and I, uh, we, were, we were well aware of something. We were well aware that there were giant waves, really, really good waves going on over in Santa Cruz. Now, a few of my buddies on the swim team and I all surfed. Uh, we didn't feel that we got enough time surfing in our, in our schedules uh, as busy high school students. And so we decided to take this opportunity on kind of a midweek practice to say, you know what, um, surfing in giant surf like that is a great, great workout. So we'd be getting the equivalent of what we're doing here in the pool. We might as well go and, and, and go do that at the ocean. Now, we knew that, that our coach wouldn't be fond of that idea. So what we did... Um, is we waited for Coach to look the other way, and then me and two of my friends ran to the shower, got changed as quickly as we could, got in our cars, and went and had a phenomenal time surfing. Here's the problem. <clears throat> High schoolers don't always think things through. When Coach noticed that three of his leaders on the team weren't in the pool... Here's all he did. He just was here, kind of here's the blocks. He just walked over to here, and what he saw over in the corner of the pool was this. He saw three sets of footprints walking over to the locker room. High schoolers don't always think things through, right? Uh, we didn't teleport to the locker room. So he ran in the locker room, but we were already gone. Guess who didn't swim their favorite events that next meet? Me and my two friends. We got chewed out about that, and we should have gotten chewed out. That was the wrong thing to do. But our footprints were a telltale sign of where we were. It was just, we, he had us. There was no question where we went. Here's what footprints do, and as we're going to move forward in this series is this. It's easier to look back in someone at, at life and to track their life, to actually graph their life and kind of see, here's where they're walking toward God, and here's the events that go on around that, and here's that one decision, man, that's where they started to pull away from God. 
There's an exercise that's used sometimes in premarital counseling where it talks about actually graphing your life. Tell me just some of the high points and low points of your life and the decisions and circumstances that surrounded that. I'll use my own life as an example. When my parents divorced, even though I don't remember that day, that was a giant turning point in my life. That was a low point. I would graph that down here. And as we look at some of the lives here, we're going to just touch on little bits and pieces of their life, but you could actually start to track it. And as you see that, here's what you see. You don't get what, what they thought they were going to do or what they hoped to do or what they intended to do. You get what they actually did. Here's what's powerful for us. I can tell you, we'd be at the beach. I can tell you, I walked all the way down to that rock and back, <laughs> and the beach is perfectly windblown, soft, and there's not a single footprint on the sand. And then you just ask one follow-up question. When did you do that? Ah, whew, I just got back. The, the simple question would just be, where's the footprints? I mean, if you actually did that, where's the footprint? And so we're going to have an opportunity to actually look back and see, where have I actually been? Not just what I say I did. 1 John 2.6 says this, Whoever claims to live in him, Jesus, must walk as Jesus did. It's convicting to look at your own footprints, isn't it? Again, not what you think you were capable of, not what you hoped you had been, but where you have actually walked and what footprints are there. Step of yes is also about walking. I mean, what's more basic than walking, right? It's something that we do all the time. Everyone, you know, does it without even thinking. Sometimes when you're asked to define something, it's really challenging. Uh, define walking for me. And you might go, oh, well, it's just sort of like, you know, just walking. <clears throat> you can't use the word to define the word. So try again. Um, let me put one up for you. This is a guy named Webster who evidently loved, loved this sort of thing. Um, but here's what he says. To move at regular and fairly slow pace by lifting and setting down each foot in turn, never having both feet off the ground at once. There's nothing really that impressive about walking. I mean, he even brings it up in his definition. You never even have both feet off the ground at once. It's pretty basic. There's nothing showy. It's fairly regular. It's fairly slow. It's fairly, it's, it's, it's never soaring. There's nothing about walking that you just go, wow. I just want to take a picture of that. That's so incredible. We have a phrase in Christian, Christianese that goes something like this. How is your walk going? What do we mean by that? How's your walk going? What does that mean? Am I the only one who speaks Christianese around here? <laughs> what about your Christianese dictionary? Come on now. It means, how's your time with Jesus? How, how's your Christian life going? What's going on in your spiritual life, right? How's your walk going? As I was pondering that question this week, I thought, you know, maybe here's something that we ought to throw a party about sometimes. What if someone just answers this way? I'm still walking. It's still going. I mean, how's your walk going? Usually, you scan your brain. You're like, come on, one nugget of something. Want something that I can just kind of give to them. Did I share with anyone recently? Have I given anything away? Have I been selfless? Come on, brain. Like, come up with something here. Someone's asking me how my walk's going. Maybe a celebration-worthy response is someone who says, man, I'm still walking. I'm still lifting one foot, and I'm putting it in front of the other. You're not soaring? Definitely not. Never been hang gliding as a Christian. I'm just one foot in front of the other. And the proper response maybe should just be praise God for that. 
Man, let's have a party for that. Let's celebrate that the grace of God is in your life such that you are still walking. There's no leaping. There's no speeding. You haven't picked it up to a slow jog or a sprint, but you're still going in that direction after Jesus. Praise God for that. And if we could learn to celebrate some of those little things. Don't we get impressed with the end of a journey or the end of a story? Let me give you an example. If you're a famous um, inventor, let's say, okay, uh, Edison. We look back on Edison maybe and we say, wow, he's just such a great inventor. We look at someone who, who, cre- you know, who, who finished some incredible journey. John Garza did, a, did a, an Ironman distance triathlon. That blows my mind away. And we're impressed by the end. But what we, what we aren't that impressed with is this. We're, we're a little bit impressed with the beginning. That first step toward the Iron Man is notable. We'll take a picture. But John Garza would tell you that what got him to the end of an Iron Man triathlon is a thousand unimpressive steps that just followed after the third and the fourth and the fifth and the 900th. And you just kept on going. Edison and other inventors would tell you, man, you don't know the number of mistakes I made to finally land on on that one thing. There was a ton of unimpressive iterations of that product or that invention that came along that no one covered. The, The news media wasn't there. What they accomplished came because they added more unimpressive steps to that first one, whatever it was. I think that we're impressed by these stories of greatness but we can also sometimes be intimidated by them. We can sometimes hear about someone who's walked in such a way, lived in such a way that we find admirable. In fact, we find it inspirational. But sometimes we're intimidated by it, and it paralyzes us. Man, I could never. You ever say that to yourself? You ever hear that in your brain? You see something, you go, man, I want to emulate that. I love that. Why why is my life, life not like that? And then we hear this voice. I could never. And we're intimidated by it. I want to invite my buddy, uh, Connor up really quick, and um, I decided not to go straight to Connor with this, but, um, but as, as I talk, I want you to try and do something very challenging. Um, you, can just, you, can just put him, you can just put him down here. Um, sometimes I like to put things on the screen. Hi, Connor. How you doing, buddy? Hey. Oh, what do you have? Well, this is right on cue. We practiced it just like this, didn't we? Thank you. Would you smile? Look at you're doing a great job. Good job. Here, do you want to give it to your daddy? Go give that to daddy. There you go. I want you to watch him and listen to me. It's going to be challenging, okay? Um, some of you are like, man, I'm sitting in the front row next week. That's part of my plan. <clears throat> Think about the way that everyone in this room started walking. You all started the exact same way. You started with some initial baby step. You think about first steps. Uh, I was hanging out with Connor earlier this week, and as I just watched him, I just thought, wow, we all started somewhere. And then you get tired, and you sit down and play with the bubbles. Um, Here's what goes on with walking. You need the help of walkers to learn to walk. You see that? Uh, Ideally, it's mom and dad, and they're just passing baby back and forth, and 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 they're kind of cruising along. It's super meaningful. I don't know if you've been on a business trip, and one of your kids was learning to walk or something, but you don't want to miss this. Man, it's a, it's a giant thing to say, they took their first step today. You expect falling to go on. Uh, when I was hanging out with Connor, he fell out of his back bedroom. Hey, buddy. Whoa. That's my next point. 
It's filled with wobbling and, and flailing arms. And adults, you love to watch the parents when their kids are learning to, to walk because their faces tell the story. You don't even need to watch the kid. You just see them go, whoa! You know, and they're trying to balance for the kid uh, to help. Yeah, to, to help him along. It can be kind of comical, um, but it also can be really, really painful. Um, just to get a sense of what babies go through, I want you later on today to go to your hard tile floor and just fall face first. I mean, just... <laughs> Just drop and, and do like a baby does. Like, be like this you know, with your hands right here so they don't break the fall. Man, you just smack your face. It's really painful. God made babies to bounce, which is a really, really good thing, right? Um, you can, you can uh, just attest to that. The slightest alteration in pitch or in texture can take a, can take a child who, who is, well, this isn't really a slight alteration. Hey, hey, Connor, come here, buddy. Come here. Come here. Oh, he's going to go the other way. There's the sin nature. That's next week. Um, we'll, see, we'll see if dad can get him. We'll see if dad can, can get him to take a step of faith here. But think about this. The slightest alteration can take a baby who's learning to walk and just send him right down. I mean, just the tiniest slope, a little tiny cord, and it, and it throws their little foot off balance. And what you see is it's pretty impressive what we're constantly doing as we walk, as we jog, as we run uphill on uneven surfaces. But we didn't get there in a day. It was one step and then another step and another step. And there have been a thousand unimpressive steps to get you where you got. Can you give a hand for Connor and his, uh, good job. He's like, wow. That's the easiest hand clap you'll ever get, buddy. Finally, it's, it's really worth celebrating. I already mentioned that we don't want to miss this. We don't want to miss our baby's first step. It's a, it's a milestone not because it's just so impressive that they took a step. We take steps all the time without ever thinking them, about, about them. But it's that first step. And what we think in our minds is this. Wow, that first step is going to lead to so many other things. Hallmark is the master at taking this idea and turning it into a commercial where at the end you're like, I'm crying, I'm just yawning. You know, and tears are coming down because they've, they've captured these kinds of scenes in, in, in video form. But that, that first baby step is going to lead maybe one day to, to running around a soccer field and you're, you're cheering on Junior as they're, as they're doing it. On and on it goes. There's, there's going to come a day possibly when your daughter is going to take just a few short steps, but there are a few short steps out onto her own as a bride one day and, and out of your life. In, in one context and into what you've been, praise God, raising her to be in another context, to go and start this, this whole part on her own. So, so it's worth celebrating these steps. But it all begins with a simple childlike step. Step of yes is also about RSVPing. And I'm taking the word RSVP and turning it into a verb. I can do that because I have a microphone. Um, God invites, God summons, God commands, God cajoles, he beckons, and then the ball is in the court of every person that he has gone and, and initiated something with. It's their move. What will they do? And then how did what they said to God flesh out in their lives? How did that end up looking? The truth is this. We're all RSVPing. Invites are coming from all of you all the time. They're coming at you from all different directions. We answer yes to some. We say no to others. We say maybe to some others. And that sometimes shows up as the word procrastination, right? And a procrastination is, is a no for now, right? 
it's, 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 it's in that maybe camp. I think that we will never run toward that which we think would kill us. I think if we know there's harm for us at the end, we'd never knowingly run toward that. I mean, at the deepest level. And then we would never run away from something that would make us truly happy. I mean, we're just, no one's wired that way. You say, well, what about a masochist? I won't even define that for the children yet. But a masochist is thinking that their activities are going to bring them happiness. So I think we run toward that which we think makes us happy, and we run away from that which we think is leading to our demise. So if you're running from God, it begs this question. What do you really believe about God? Maybe you believe that God will make you uncomfortable because it's proven true in the past. I can't deny that. I read the scriptures, I live life, I go, yeah, that could happen. But maybe it's also that you believe he's a finger-wagging nag who's going to ask too much of you. Maybe you think you can't trust God. Maybe you aren't really deeply convinced that God is good and has your best interest in mind. I know that we won't run away from that which we think will really make us happy. So it really does come back to what we think and dream about God. Each person responded to God and it changed their story. We'll look at that and consider how we are responding to God. That's the series in a nutshell. Now, let me move quickly on to Enoch. We took, we took Enoch for, uh, for this first one because I knew I had to get the intro of the series and one person fit in here. And I took Enoch because of this. There's a few short verses about the life of Enoch. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 5, first book of the Bible. We're starting in the Old Testament. We thought we'd start in Genesis. So what do, what do we know of Enoch? Not much, but enough. We don't have a lot recorded about this guy, but we have enough to get a sense of who he was. His name means dedicated. He was the son of Jared, who most of you have probably never heard of. But he was the father of Methuselah, which if you're an Old Testament scholar, you've heard of him. And he was the grandpa of a guy named Noah, which even if you're the most pagan person in the room, you've certainly heard of Noah. So he's got this genealogy. And then he's the great, great, you go figure it out with your genealogy study, great something grandpa of a guy named Jesus, who you've certainly heard of as well. The Bible says that he was taken up to God without dying. That's pretty noteworthy. Hebrews 11, one of the few other places in all of Scripture that notes about Enoch, attributes this to the fact that he had faith. That's why God took him without dying. And then there's a little tiny book near the back of your Bible called Jude. And Jude 14, there's no chapter 1 because there's only one chapter in there. Jude 14 alludes to the fact that Enoch prophesied, that he was a, a, a prophet. So we do know a few things about Enoch, but not a whole lot. Genesis chapter 5, uh, if you read, uh, you, can, you can follow along with me. It's not going to take long. Uh, says this, Genesis 5, 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now again, there's a few other verses, but we're going to focus on that one central verse. He walked with God, and he was not. Literally what the wording says there is, he was not found. Who was looking for Enoch? His friends. His family. They couldn't find him, because God took him without dying. God, he walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. I mean, here's a few short verses, but look at what we know of Enoch. He walked with God. 
And wouldn't you love to be recorded in the scriptures as those words? Heather, she walked with God. Lisa, she walked with God. On and on it could go. That's a, that's a powerful thing. But he was not because God took him. He was not only walked with God, he was wanted by God. Man, what a powerful life story. He walked with God. He was wanted by God. That's summing up the story of Enoch. Now, titles rarely tell the tale of, of, of who someone is. Some of you wear different hats today, and you have different titles, maybe on a business card or whatever else. You're the president of this. You're the, you know, a, a junior assistant associate of that. Uh, you, you do this or that. You're so-and-so's father. You're so-and-so's grandma. And so you have these different titles. But isn't it true that titles rarely tell really kind of who the person is? I mean, you could be all kinds of different things, and, and you kind of have the titles, but you don't really have a ton of who the person is. But what a powerful tribute this, these few words are to who Enoch was. I wonder if at the end of our life we would look at these two things and say, man, if it would just be said about me that I walked with God and was wanted by God, would that be enough for me? Would that be enough? Here's the way I function. Sitting in church on a Sunday, I look at this, I go, absolutely. And I mean it with all my heart. I mean, God, that's all I want. That's enough. I mean, just to walk with you, to be known as someone who walks with you and enjoys all that that entails and, and that's wanted by you. And that's all, that's all I want. It's easy by Tuesday to have that all flipped around. My head gets all screwed up sometimes. And all of a sudden, it's not enough anymore. Can I challenge you to keep showing up on Sundays? We, we need to keep being recharged to say, just what's important? What do, I, what do I really want in this life? What does it mean to walk with God? Uh, I want you to pull out your, your uh, bulletin for, for a moment. And, um, and uh, you have a picture on it. Uh, this, is, this is drawn by a, a little friend of mine named Brooklyn, uh, Pitagoy Aaron. And... Um, and I, I had asked her to just draw me a picture about Enoch walking with God. And so that's our bulletin cover. By the way, uh, you're going to have an opportunity, kids, to have your art published by being on the, on the cover of a bulletin. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set up on the city where I'm inviting you to participate in drawing some of these things. Next week, we're going to look at the life of Jonah. Okay? Now, Jonah got his own book, so you can read the, the uh, story of Jonah. Um, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, what you can do is you can sit down with your kid, sign up on the city, and say, hey, in three weeks, uh, we're going to draw the picture for that. And we're going to sit down, and we're going to read through the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say about it? And then they're going to interpret that in picture form. Uh, my kids sometimes say, Dad, can I not take notes but just draw a picture of what I'm hearing? And I tell you, I learned the most amazing things about what was taught in the sermon by looking at my children's pictures. So, Kids, you're going to have opportunity to have your, uh, your picture put on the cover of the bulletin. So Brooklyn helped me out this time. And uh, sometimes I may need some clarification. Uh, Mom helped translate this a little bit. But this is Enoch walking with God. Um, God wears his britches really high and needs a rather large belt buckle. That's the belt buckle right across, right across the top. Um, what's beautiful is it includes a donkey. This is the donkey that God rode into Jerusalem. Because we just celebrated Easter. So there's a little donkey uh, in there, and this here, you'll never guess, but that's the staff 
that, uh, that Moses and Aaron had that turned into snakes. Can you tell what our children are learning about in, in children's group right now? Isn't that cool? It's a three for one. I mean, there's a few short verses about Enoch. She just threw a couple bonus in there, which I absolutely love. This is going to hang somewhere in the church sanctuary for the duration of this series. Kids, we want to see your pictures and what it is, and we're going we're to let those teach us during this series as well. Enoch walked with God. Walk means to walk, as we already talked about, but it also means behavior or lifestyle. We might say it this way. There are people in this room from all walks of life, people who have come from all different kinds of behaviors. If you want to learn where to walk with God or what it means, um, just write down the word Ephesians. It's a book of the Bible. In the book of Ephesians, you have the word walk eight times, and then you have it, you have it followed up many times with the words in him. The words in him are found together in the book of Ephesians 32 times. You want to know what it means to walk like Enoch walked with God? Start with Ephesians. You walk in him. Ephesians talks about a position that we're adopted in love by our Father through Jesus. It also talks about the provision, the things that we'll need for this journey we're on, that God's gifted us with adoption, redemption, forgiveness, knowledge, and grace, grace that's been lavished on you. By the way, I'm not even through verse 11 of chapter 1 yet. That's Ephesians. So start there. But I'm going to very quickly put up a few verses. Um, these are some of the ways that we're told to walk with God. Romans 6 talks about walking in newness of life. Romans 8.4, to walk according to the Spirit. Galatians 5 has lots to say about that as well. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 13, we're to walk properly. Romans 14, we're to walk in love. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we're to walk by faith. It goes on. Ephesians talks about walking in good works, in the light. Ephesians 5 says something very important, that we're to scrutinize our walk. We're to stop and look back at our footprints once in a while and say, is what I'm saying I'm doing lining up with what my mouth says I'm doing? I'll tell you what leads a Christian to repentance is this. It's often not. Especially if you talk a lot like I do. Often I talk a better game than I walk. And the Bible tells me explicitly, look at your walk and then talk accordingly and vice versa. So we're to look at how we walk. Colossians talks about walking in wisdom. 1 Thessalonians uh, talks about not, basically not looking for the next secret breakthrough. That whole bias against the old and, and for the new. Don't we want a new book that just will finally teach us how to love our spouse? How will finally teach us how to overcome this, this temptation? And we buy into the garbage that says there's 10 easy steps. You can just memorize them and execute them. It's worked for millions of others. It'll work for you too. Give me the book. Give me the DVD. Give me the worksheet. You know, I'll do it all. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, don't look for the next secret breakthrough. Grow in what you know. Your sanctification is what's happening. Just grow in that. In 2 John 6, we're to, we're to walk according to his commands. Now, doesn't walking according to his commands open up a whole new world of what it means to walk? All of a sudden, you do a command, you do a different search in your computer program. Commands. What does Jesus command? We did a whole series on the demands of Jesus. It took us weeks and weeks and weeks. All of a sudden, we, we learn what it means of how to walk with God. There's also some, 
some ways we learn, and that's what we should not walk like. And let me just give you a couple. Ephesians 5.15 says this, that, uh, and, and much of Proverbs. Just do a word search on the word fool in Proverbs, okay? And, and all of a sudden, you, you, you get a, an idea of, of how not to walk with the unwise. Implied in that is don't be the unwise person that others shouldn't walk with, right? So you want to know how to walk with God. Here's some do's. Here's some don'ts. Don't walk with the unwise. Um, don't walk in idleness. Don't be a busybody. Don't lie about your walk. Your footsteps prove it anyways. Don't walk in the dark. This took me about five minutes to put these things together. Uh, Computer is an amazing thing. To just understand, God, what's your will for my life? How do you want me to walk? It's God's will that you be sanctified. That not even a hint of, of, of immorality is amongst us. You look at the things God tells us to do and doesn't tell us to do, there's the road right there in front of us. We don't need a community group leader. We don't need a trained leader. We don't need a professional author to tell us that. But the Holy Spirit agreeing with us, that's how you walk with God. All right, I wrap up with this. Each week we'll be thinking about, by the way, this didn't even make it into your community group questions, so you need to write this down if you want. But a whole separate sermon is this. What enables our walking? It's the Holy Spirit. And here's all I want you to think about. I want you to think of that guy, Peter, I just mentioned, before Pentecost and after Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit indwelled him, okay? So just, that's a whole side thing that you and your community group, you and your family, you can go do some personal study on. Let me bring the band up, um, and let me close with this. The whole idea of, of RSVP is just that, that we would respond to what we see. Enoch walked with God. Enoch was wanted God. What are the few words that you would want on your caption? He didn't get a tombstone, right? There's no body to bury. He instead got an inscription in Scripture for all eternity. Pretty cool. What are the few words you'd want on your tombstone? Man, here, here lies this guy named Dave. He walked with God. I'll tell you this morning, that would be plenty for me. I would love that. Lest we romanticize this, let me just say a, a couple of things. We know this about Enoch, that when God invited him to go for a walk, he must have said yes. It must have began with a simple little Connor-like step, right? We also know that he must be perfect, because to walk with God, you must be perfect. Shake your head no with me. That is not true. Well, what do we know about Enoch that's negative? We don't know anything other than he was born of the seed of Adam, which means he had sin nature in him. All we have to do is look to his grandson, Noah. You know what it was said of Noah? Very few people have this mark. It was said that he walked with God, just like his grandpa. Pretty cool. Now, the way we can surmise that Enoch wasn't perfect is because we know how Noah's story... Uh, well, we know that it includes um, his, you know, being drunk in a tent out in the woods... It was like hillbilly Olympics going on. I mean, it would have made it a great reality show. We know that about Noah, and he walked with God. So we know Enoch wasn't perfect, even though he walked with God. We do know uh, that he must have known that he was accepted, that he was wanted. Isn't it true that you like to walk with people who you know want you? Not tolerate you, not put up with you, but they want you. And you run to people like that. You want to be around people who really want you. 
Micah 6.8 says this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Enoch walked with God. Enoch was wanted with, by God. And that's enough for us. Let me pray. God, I'm not sure how Enoch prayed, but I would imagine as someone who walked with you and was wanted by you must have prayed for, with a deep longing for intimate fellowship. Praying things like, Lord, come quickly. What I see here on earth, what I'm experiencing here on earth isn't near enough. It's not the treasure I seek. It's you. Can we be together? And God, one day you answered Enoch's prayer, maybe to make an illustration of him. As a pointer to Christ that that there is a way to cheat death, that there is a final enemy in death, but not all will taste it. Jesus, you were one who walked with God like Enoch. You were one who was wanted with God by God like Enoch. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And like Enoch, you were taken up, but not before you stared down death and swallowed death whole. And we celebrate that this morning. We praise you, God, that you opened the door through Jesus before you took him up to be with you again. By faith this morning, we rest our hope in that. For those who haven't, I pray that they would be convicted to place their hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, for those who are walking, would you encourage and lift their spirits to keep taking steps with you along the way. We love you this morning. We praise you with our lips. Just now as we give, God, we give out of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.